Good morning and welcome to another episode of A Cup of Coffee with Bill. Uh, it is April 14th. The sports world is getting closer and closer to some semblance of normalcy. So I thought it was a good time to bring in somebody that uh, is recruiting candidates and helping teams, leagues, and other companies in our uh, industry find the right people. So I'd like to welcome Dan Rossetti, president of Ascension, um, Ascension Sports Partners, to the show. And we're just going to talk about the, the industry and some different topics that uh, I'm sure people out there who are looking for their next role in sports uh, will want to know. And hopefully it helps some people get ready to uh, lock in jobs as, again, we see fans back in the stands. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate you having me. So for uh, people that haven't met you and haven't heard of or worked with Ascension before, can you just give us the elevator pitch on yourself and the company? Sure, absolutely. So I've been involved in the, you know, kind of the recruitment and executive search space uh, within professional sports and entertainment for close to about 17 years now. Um, my background uh, went to Wittenberg University uh, got a traditional business management degree back then in the late 90s. The sports management programs hadn't uh, risen to the ranks that they are today in the number of schools. So going through college, if someone at that time, Bill, would have asked me, hey, there's an opportunity to work for, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, if there was an opportunity to go work for the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Falcons, um, I absolutely would have signed up. I would have said, yes, yes, I'd love to learn more. I'd love to do that. But I just, I didn't know how to go about doing that and how to, how to kind of get my foot in the door within sports and entertainment. It was like kind of knowing like a, a purple unicorn. Like you just, you just didn't know anybody who, who worked in the industry. I mean, I really didn't. So I got a traditional management degree, a business management degree, and um, went right out of school into the world of IT recruiting and staffing. Uh, at that time, I went to go work for a company called Tech Systems, uh, which is a subdivision of a larger global giant called Allegis Partners, uh, which is funny enough, owned by the, was created and owned by the now owner of the Baltimore Ravens, uh, Stephen Bashotti. So I, you know, went to, you know, went right out of school, uh, moved back to Atlanta and uh, started working in IT recruiting a space that I knew nothing about. Uh, I'm still to this day, very low on the technical, uh, you know, uh, spectrum as far as it relates to putting computers together and servicing computers or writing code and so forth. But I could, sure, I could sure talk it and I could sure recruit it. So I did that for a number of years, for about five years in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, was promoted and transferred to Huntsville, Alabama, was promoted again and transferred to now my, you know, now my home of Cincinnati, Ohio. And, and, you know, at that time, nobody really goes to school as well to become a recruiter. And I, you know, I, I joke with my other recruiting, uh, you know, counterparts in the industry that, you know, when people ask us about it, it's like nobody goes to school to learn how to recruit or be a, an executive search consultant. It's just kind of comes about. So you have to learn about it. But, um, you know, did that for five years and then did a, you know, did a, a B2B uh, sales role in the uh, in the tax uh, space, tax research space, which wasn't very exciting. Um, then ultimately uh, thought I had to found my passion. I'm, I, I love sports. I love fitness um, and got into the health and fitness industry and mm -hmm. uh, was a manager of a 
you know, 140,000 square foot uh, health and wellness center in Cincinnati, Ohio, and, you know, did that for a few years. And then, you know, which we'll get into a little bit later, but uh, it all comes back to networking and who, you know, my first, uh, my first boss out of school uh, ended up uh, asking me and who I still keep in touch with today asked me, Hey, I, I bumped into an individual, a gentleman who runs a search firm and asked if you know anybody who loves recruiting and loves sports. And I jumped all over it. And uh, that was uh, obviously turnkey sports back in the, you know, back at that time in Len Perna mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, interviewed with Len and, and the team there at turnkey and, you know, job, jumped into the sports and entertainment world and have been doing that since. So, um, you know, my track record of, of, of recruiting and placing candidates with across the board, you know, uh, all different leagues, properties, uh, teams, agencies, um, you know, haven't gotten too much into the brand or, and or the college side yet. But, um, you know, I've spent that, you know, and uh, worked to turnkey, then moved back to Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where my wife is from, and opened up Ascension Sports Partners in 2008. And at that time, I really was trying to find the niche of where I could be and where I thought there was opportunity. And so I created Ascension with the initial goal of not, you know, of providing executive search and career kind of consulting services to, you know, to individuals who didn't necessarily sit at the the C-level table. Um, Traditionally, you know, search firms, especially executive and retained search firms, focus on just kind of senior, you know, senior leaders and above. And I really thought that, you know, that shouldn't preclude someone who's maybe an account executive, a manager, a director from getting that, you know, kind of that, that knowledge and that, you know, kind of that interaction with someone like myself that can help better them in, in the future. So I, I, I focused on that niche and that kind of grew into, into doing a number of different roles and ran my business successfully for, you know, coming up on about nine and a half years. And then in September, 2017, I got an opportunity to join the, the team at Prodigy Search, uh, which, uh, you know, was a, was a larger uh, search firm out there in the industry doing, uh, you know, within sports and entertainment, had a nice run there. And then uh, beginning of 2020, you know, we decided to come back and, uh, and open up Ascension Sports Partners. And with this iteration and my second time, I've obviously learned a lot since my first go around with this bill. But, um, you know, not only do I offer up, you know, executive search and retain search services on, on different positions, but I've also created a career consulting and career coaching line of business. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also created an interview preparation line of business um, in some different, you know, some different uh, facets of my business, because I've, I've learned that over the past 12 months, as the pandemic hit, there were a lot of people, you know, the number of calls I got, there were a lot of people that this was the first time they had to look for a job in a long time. And right. this was the first time that they actually, they didn't, and a lot of them didn't know where to start. They didn't even know where to begin with how do I, how, how do I go about doing this? You know, I've been working, I've been working at this team for the last 10 years. I, I, I don't even know what to do. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you, you know, you got a chance to go on, uh, you know, go on my website, but, you know, I had a, a client that I worked with, a, a candidate that I worked with that said, you know, and I, I laugh every time I see this, but he was, you know, to, to quote him, it said, you know, I always laugh to myself that I knew how to fill a building with 17,159 fans but I didn't know how to write a resume or how to use LinkedIn. You know, I mean, so those are things that you, you take for granted as you're in the industry that a lot of people just, they, they weren't aware of. So I focused a lot on that, you know, those lines of business as well. And, you know, as, as the industry is starting to kind of uh, see ourselves on an uptick, uh, you know, business is definitely getting busier. 
Yeah, and to to go into you know people are finding jobs, uh, teams, leagues, uh, brands. There, everybody's hiring again uh, because a lot of the projections that we're starting to see are that by the fall we should be at a hundred percent capacity in most sports, and in twenty two it's definitely going to be full steam ahead. Uh, so. Where, where do you see the market from your vantage point going right now? How, how does it look? Are we crazy to think that, um, you know, it, it's going to stay as hot as it is right now? Do you see a, a minor downturn at some point, or is it going to be business as usual and people are going to start finding, finding jobs again, pretty, pretty in short order rather? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Bill. So I agree with you for the most part that, you know, I tie a lot of the hiring to the belief that fans are coming back. You know I mean? Like as fans come to stadiums and arenas, again, there's obviously going to be a need to hire people who may have been let go or furloughed last year due to the pandemic. Cause there weren't fans in the crowds. So they didn't need the amount of service people. They didn't need the amount of sellers. They didn't need, you know, cause there was nothing to really technically sell. So mm-hmm. um, as we kind of start slow rolling that back, uh, you're absolutely starting to see, you know, positions open up. I would probably, um, you know, I would say right now we're seeing a spike, you know I mean? Just because people have gotten the green light and they're, they're optimistic and like you, they see where the trends are going with the the fans and, in, in, you know, in, in, in the percentage of the capacity that they're able to go to the stadiums. Um, I don't see it necessarily dipping down, but I definitely think we'll hit a plateau because I think teams will, you know, they'll balance out their workforce of really, you know, really learning what they need and, and how much staff they really technically need to have on board to service their, you know, to service their environment. So, you know, I think there's as soon as they got the green light to make hires, I think people I think people jumped at the uh, jumped at the gun and, you know, and were like, oh, great, let's get hired. Let, you know, let's get hiring. I've gotten approval to get back the positions that I needed. So I think people have moved fast. But right. I do believe over, I do believe over the last 12 months that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of internal discussions on staffing and just really, truly understanding how many do we really need? Like, you know, I mean, like really trying to figure out the levels to make a successful run that is also cost effective, you know, to where you can't just hire, you know, 50 new ticket sales reps or can we get, you know, do we want to hire 25, but they're the right 25, as opposed to our, you know, kind of the old models within sports sometimes of, hey, let's hire a bunch. And, you know, and the ones who fall off are the ones who probably weren't going to make it anyway. You know what I mean? Like, and just in mm-hmm. going with those numbers versus really kind of targeting in and identifying, hopefully they've taken the time over the last 12 months to really identify cultural traits, you know, uh, you know, the true responsibilities that, that people have success within their organization that they can go look for and replicate in the industry as, as they go out and hire these new people. But I do see more of it uh, as hitting a plateau over the next, you know, probably nine, 12 months um, where we'll kind of, you know, initial reach now, you know, initial push now, and then it'll kind of, kind of slowly flatten out a little bit. That's just, that's my, my intuition. What, what industries do you see as not, uh, or as avoiding the plateau when that hits, because I, I do agree with you. Um, and it goes back to, I think some of the technological additions that stadiums are going to start adding that will avoid. Um, and, and a lot of that will be the game day part-time, uh, hourly staff. But I, I do think you'll see some 
some positions eliminated down the road with automation and some other technologies yeah. to remove potentially unnecessary layers of human interaction, uh, given the health landscape that we need to maintain in the industry. But yeah. what, what parts of the industry do you think are going to stay hot and continue hiring regardless of what we see in, in venues? Yeah, I mean, look, sales and service is not going anywhere. I mean, we are a sales and service driven industry. Um, so those those departments are always going to be in need. Um, even, you know, even as we look at, you know, the, the, the touchless or kind of the, you know, lessening of human interaction, um, customer service is still customer service. And a lot of people to this day still want to have someone that they either want to say something good about or they want to complain about. And more times than not, it's usually to complain about something at, the, you know, of they, hey, I had this interaction at the game or, hey, my seats weren't where I thought they were or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, you know, there's, they always want to talk to somebody. So service, you know, uh, the service mindset is not going to go anywhere. So those positions are always going to be in, in demand. Um, I think you're going to see, you know, creative i think you, you touched on something and I, I i kind of as i was you know run, running that through my head that question um yeah i mean you see companies like clear you know i mean like you see companies like that that anything to do with hygiene and touchless mm-hmm. uh you know is just absolutely going to continue to go forward because i think the pandemic woke us all up of hey we need to make sure we have that this doesn't happen again and you know i think people like that feeling of of um you know, safety when they go to an arena or a stadium or a venue to, to know that the right things are being, you know, are taking place. So those companies, to your point, the, the digital landscape is, is not going anywhere and it's just going to continue to ramp up and look for people who understand traditional sports, but then can bring it to this digital knowledge and kind of, and, and, and act as a kind of a conduit between the two. Um, but, you know, uh, the other industries that, you know, obviously esports and, ga- and, you know, in the gaming and gambling industries are are hot and they didn't take a dip during the pandemic. Nope. Um, you know, they, they kept they kept going straight forward. I mean, if anything, companies like uh, FanDuel and PointsBet and William Hill and, you know, I mean, they, they hired nonstop because mm-hmm. they've seen the, the crack that's becoming a, you know, kind of a, a, a cavern, uh, you know, that is going to be, you know, and ultimately I think will be across all 50 states of getting involved, you know, uh, more and more with the, the teams and operations. So um, that space is, is definitely as hot as, as ever. What, what is going to disappear either temporarily, maybe for the next year or two, or is there, are there certain roles and segments of the industry that you think are just gone now because of the pandemic? You know, I think, I think, I, I don't know if there's necessarily sections, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily sections of the industry that are going away, but what I do think is going to go away is, and this kind of dovetails into my thoughts of, of people and your ability to adapt. I think you're more of going to see people, you know, people starting to slowly dissipate from our industry who have kind of tried and true and done the same things over and over again for their whole career. So I see more of a need to replace them with people who can do more than one thing. You know what I mean? Like they need people who can react and adapt and, you know, it showed during the pandemic a little bit that, um, you know, 
all the companies that were able to, to kind of move forward, they had people in place that could adapt to the situation that was going on. Right. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think there's a skill set per se, but I think there's a human element of you've got to learn how to adjust your role and be able to come up with new ideas and be able to think more outside the box than just the old um, tried and true methods that ruled the industry you ruled the sports and entertainment industry for for many years uh, i don't think we're going back to that i think it's it's going to continue to kind of you know think innovative uh ways to 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 increase the you know increase the industry so yeah and yeah i asked that because i was listening to another podcast yesterday and the host and the guest were talking having a, a similar part of their conversation but more about how young the industry is about to get simply because we've just spent over a year with high school students, middle school students that are now pretty much native in this environment where this is how they were learning. This is how they've communicated with family and friends. And so we're, we're probably going to see a very young workforce uh, in the demographics shift towards the younger side uh, across the landscape, just because people know how to utilize this and make it engaging because that's the other thing I've been fascinated with is how are sellers uh, maintaining some kind of exciting platform where you would normally have these conversations in person and we're able to use uh, body language and certain cues and we're able to show videos um, without having to switch screens. Um, So just a, a very young workforce that is digitally native, especially within the virtual meeting space. Um, so it's an interesting point that you brought that up, that it is very much an adapt or move on uh, timeline right now. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, nimbleness is, is, is kind of a, you know, one of those skill, you know, soft skills, those, you know what I mean? <clears throat> that people need to really kind of focus it on within their career of just learning now that you, you need to be nimble and you need to be able to, to kind of move in, in different spaces and, and be able to, to pick up on things very quickly. I mean, I think the, you know, Zoom came around and, you know, some of the other platforms, Teams and Google Meet and everything. And I think, you know, there is definitely a, a fatigue that's going on, but I also think that there's definitely been an advantage to be able to learn and utilize um, these skill sets that I think are going to make workforces and teams more productive because they're going to realize, Hey, I don't necessarily have to meet with everybody in person all the time. Like, you know I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. a meeting can be a virtual meeting as opposed to having to schedule and take an hour and a half out of your day versus, Hey, let's hop on a zoom call for a quick 10, 15 minutes and knock out what we need to knock out and then be back on your day. So. Exactly. Exactly. So let's jump over from the, the broad strokes of the industry and the direction it's heading towards the actual process, applying, interviewing, closing. Um, what, what are some things in what you're seeing now with candidates and companies? What are, what are some things that job seekers should actively be doing as they're applying and interviewing to keep themselves at the top of the field when people are looking through resumes? So there's there's two main there's two main things that I would that I would stress to job seekers and and that is um, relevance and mm-hmm. I'll I'll explain that a little bit more and then um, really sitting down and I, I I read an article a couple months ago and, and wrote a post about it about um, how are you the aspirin 
to the company's pain that you're interviewing for. Um, so jumping back to, to relevance first, the name of the game, in my opinion, has always been relevance. And that's, I mean, that's sales 101, but it's, it's just, it's, it's job search 101. It's right. what are you doing to be in the three to five names that a Bill, a Dan, a whoever it may be, thinks about when a position comes up. And that could be internally, or that could be when Dan Rossetti reaches out and says, hey, do you know anybody that would be a good fit for this job? So you need to figure out your relevant game plan to stay top of mind. And that could be a couple of things. That could be, you know, checking in with your net within your network every other month. That could be, um, you know, I have a, a coaching client right now that took the initiative and I, I think it works great of he sends articles that are typically outside of sports that he reads about leadership or sales or marketing um, and sends them to prospective employers. And, you know, I mean, say, Hey, I came across this article. I think it's, you know, I think it'd be, um, you know, it was a great read and you might be able to take some points with it. I look forward to staying in touch. You know what I mean? And those are things, it's just touch points to find a way to stay top of mind um, during this, you know, during the last 12 months, that's what I, when I was talking with candidates that were, you know, unfortunately had been laid off or, you know, caught up in furloughs. I said, you know, you need to be, you know, pushing the gas pedal down right now because all these networking calls, they are basically informal interviews, right? right. I mean, whether you, you know it or not, they're informal interviews. They're, they're having a networking conversation to meet you and talk with you, but in the back of their minds, they're going, is Dan Rossetti somebody that we could see working in our company? You know, are they somebody that fits our vision? Do they fit? So you have to approach every networking call that way because you never know, A, when they're, you know, there may be an opportunity at that organization, but B, you never know when they're talking to, you know, one of their friends at another team or league and they're asking, hey, we're making a hire and you're going to stick out. So you, you, you have to approach it that way, but um, you need to find your game plan of, of, of touch points. Um, you know, I'm going to date myself here, Bill, but, you know, my first job out of college, um, we used, you know, my, my sales manager and my, you know, our boss, you know, introduced this, uh, this system called a tickler file, which was essentially, you know, every week and every day of every week I had 10 names per day that mm -hmm. I needed to reach out to. And I had them set up on a quarterly system. So when I would go to the first week, the first Monday, I had 10 names that I knew I needed to touch base with, you know, and that could be just, Hey, just wanted to check in, you know, how's your business coming along? I saw this story, um, blah, 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 blah. I hope you're doing well. Look forward to staying in touch. And then a Tuesday, I had a different 10 names. Wednesday, I had a different 10 names, but it would, what it did is it forced me to remember to reach out to them. You know what I mean? And it forced me to, to make sure that I was touching base because I can't tell you how many times that I talk to candidates and I tell them, please, you know, stay in touch with me. It doesn't need to be every week, but please, you know, every month, every other month, please feel free to drop me a quick email and just check in. And I may not have a lot of information at the time, but what it's doing is, and, and, and that I always sound, and I never wanted to come, come off sounding egotistical, but I talk to so many people throughout the week and throughout the months and the years that it's not on purpose. I may forget about you, but it's the ones who kind of stay top of mind. It's just the ones right. who stay top of mind. Um, so relevance is, is key, right? You know, relevance is paramount. The second thing I, you know, I think job seekers need to do a better job about is truly understanding 
why they are the right fit for this particular role in this particular organization. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't come by just winging it on an interview. I mean, that comes with really doing a lot of, you know, self retro, you know, retrospection and, you know, kind of really sitting down and saying, okay, for this role, they mentioned that they're looking for someone with, you know, who can drive new revenue. Okay. Well, what have I done in the past that can prove and show how I drive revenue? Um, how do, you know, they need somebody who can, Hey, we're going through a little bit of a, a tough time. Our team's been on the, the downswing. So we need somebody who can maybe help get us out of, you know, who's sold in this situation or marketed in a situation with a company that hasn't always been the New York Yankees, Chicago Cubs, Dallas Cow. You know what I mean? Like, you know, one of those right. top franchises, how, you know, so you have to sit and really analyze why am I the best person for this job? And, you know, sometimes you may come after you list out all your things, you may realize maybe I'm not the right, you know, maybe I'm not the best person for this job. Um, but you need to identify that before you even have your first interview, because there's so many people out there and so many qualified candidates. The talent pool is so deep right now um, of not only candidates that are actively looking, but half the people I've spoken with since the start of the pandemic uh, Bill are, are people who are currently working in great jobs, but you know what? They want to better themselves. They want to change their situation. They are quietly dipping their toe in the water. Mm -hmm. um, so you, that just leads to an extremely deep talent pool. So you really have to have buttoned up why, you know what I mean? Like why you are the aspirin, as I mentioned earlier, why are you the aspirin to what their pain is right now and truly understanding what their pain is. So um, again, that just takes doing some homework and really buttoning up your, your interview process as you get going, as well as your resume, make sure your resume touches on all these subjects. I mean, if they're, you know, the, the job description, I used to joke with people and college students, especially because they understand it more, but um, you know, the job description essentially is, is giving you the answers. Like they're giving you, it's like an open book test. Like they're giving you the information that you need to make sure you have on your resume. Right. If you don't have, if you can't prove and show how you have those things on your resume, then you know what you may not you may not get a chance at this one, so you have to do that. Okay, An interesting point. I like the the idea of being the aspirin for a company. Um, it's an interesting way to to look at that, along with staying relevant. Um, one one thing that I, I would say it's probably been worse this year, and I think simply out of the volume of candidates that people um, are getting to apply to jobs when they post them is uh, ghosting. Um, you know, it happens both ways. It's happened to me uh, in the last year, a couple of times. Um, but can, can you just touch on briefly what, what are some ways for applicants to combat that and how are we going about getting past the, uh, the silence to maybe re-engage conversations or politely say, Hey, um, you know, my, my time's just as valuable as yours. Um, you know, what, what are some ways to approach that issue? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, when I wrote about it a couple months ago, I hit a, you know, I hit a, I hit a nerve with a lot of people. And I think, um, and that's sad. I mean, as, as somebody who's in the, the hiring business and who gets, you know, gets involved with this, um, it's sad to hear the stories over and over and over again from, from candidates that have gotten ghosted, especially 
as they've made it a few rounds into the interview process. You know, I mean, it's 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 one thing and not that it, I excuse it, but it's one thing when you just apply randomly online. I, you know, there still should be a system set up that you get an automatic response. Um, but after you have two, three, four conversations with a client uh, or a hiring company, and then all of a sudden you don't hear anything else. Right. And it's just, it's, it is very, very, uh, it's sad. Um, you know, as I, as I, as I did the homework, as I was about to write that article, you know, I come, came to find out that, you know, read a survey that said 77% of job seekers say they'd have been ghosted by a prospective employer. And that number is, is way too high. Um, you know, usually there are some reasons that they, they, they do that. Um, you know, they fill the position internally, um, you know, they ultimately decided not to hire the position, um, they were overwhelmed with candidates, um, but they didn't want to cut you loose yet. Like you were kind of on the fringe, so they right. didn't really want to let you go yet. But they also they didn't necessarily think you were the perfect fit, but they've kind of kept you hanging on. Um, a lot of times the interviewer is just too afraid to relay bad news. Um, you know, they just they're just not very good and they're not very comfortable with someone they've gotten to know in an interview situation, because you do get to know the candidates. Well, I mean, this is somebody who's going to be working with you on a day-to-day -day basis. Sometimes you just, there are people who are just, you know, they just, they don't like dropping that bad news. They, you know, I, I always think of like, um, I always think of like George Clooney in that movie up in the air. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, his, his role in up in the air, which was very cold, but he was brought in because you know what the companies the didn't want to do it. What's that? He's the hatchet guy. Yeah, he's the hatchet guy. I mean, and that is he understands his role and there's no it's not personal. It's not, you know, what I mean, he's got nothing invested in it. But sometimes, you know, interviewers, they do become invested and they, they really do feel bad. Um, this was interesting because I didn't realize this as I was doing the homework that sometimes it's just there's a fear of being accused of discrimination. And so that's why they stay silent. You know, what I mean, like they just they there's no laws in place. And maybe that's a whole other topic for, you know, where we can go with this, but there's no laws in place that say private companies have to tell you to, they have to tell you an answer. Like there's nothing that forces them to respond. So you just hope they do out of the kindness with the heart and understanding it. Um, but, you know, some things that you can do as a candidate, if you find this happening, um, is just remember, first off, remember that chances are this probably has nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, as always, it really has nothing to do with you and it's easy to take it personally, but more than likely it probably isn't. Right. Um, so understanding that, but also having a structured follow-up plan in place, um, really, you know, really coming up and saying, okay, I didn't hear from them. I'm going to give them, you know, I'm going to follow up today. I'm going to follow up the next week. I'm going to follow, you know, three days, then seven days, and then 10 days. Um, and really try and get to that answer one way or the other. Um, sale it, it, it again, I, I jump back to sales, but it's a no is not necessarily, I know it doesn't sound like it, but a no is not necessarily the worst answer in the world because at least it's something, you know, a yes or no, the worst thing is silence or a maybe, you know what I mean? So you want to get them to that point where they either say, Hey, Dan, you know what, you know, we really appreciate your time and follow up. I, we really feel like this candidate is better. You know what I mean? Like it's a better match for us. Um, so, I mean, like, it, that's okay. It's, it's heartbreaking and disappointing as it may be at times, at least you can move on. It's a response. Um, yeah. You know, go through multiple channels. Sometimes you can go, if you've made a relationship, maybe with a, a, a maybe an account executive or someone on a, a different department and just kind of poke around and ask, hey, did they ever fill that role? Mm -hmm. You know, I had some conversations. I never heard anything. Um, but then also the most important is set a kind of set a, set a guideline and a timeline of 
hey, I'm going to give it three or four follows. And then at that point, I'm, I'm moving on. You know, I mean, like you have to, you have to be strong enough personally and as a person to say, I'm moving on. Obviously they didn't, you know, either they didn't like me, but you know what, do you really want to go work for a company sometimes that does that to you? You know what I mean? Like those are the questions that you need to ask yourself as well as look, if they're, if, if communication is poor at this point, what is it going to be like if, you know, once I get on board, am I going to have some challenges? Um, that's why I always remind candidates to, to, to always remember you're interviewing the company as much as they're interviewing you. You exactly. know what I mean? Because you really need to make sure of that. Um, so, and then, you know, and then you can look back, you know, eliminate factors and then you can look and say, all right, maybe I just didn't interview well. And then also sometimes, and I had a great conversation earlier this week with a candidate. It was very humble. It was a very humbling approach that he took with this. And I was, I was, I was really amazed with it, but he just said, sometimes I just realized there may be a better candidate than me. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just lose out to a great candidate and that happens sometimes, you know what I mean? To where it's just ultimately you did, there was nothing you did wrong. You know what I mean? Like you did everything right, but you there was something. The right fit. Yeah. It just wasn't the right fit. And there was just somebody else. Um, so yeah, I mean, it definitely is something. And, but um, I had a commenter on my, once I posted it, that just summed it up the best. It was really funny. He just, you know, basically just said, uh, you know, it comes down to common decency, you know, people either have it or they don't. I mean, like, I, I don't know how you fix it. Um, you know, because there's no, I just, there's no simple fix because you can be the candidate that screams from the mountaintop that XYZ team or XYZ company blew me, you know, you know, blew off following up with me and never got back to me. And you know what, then you, unfortunately you come with the consequences that go along with that. And, you know, of, of being that person that screams from the mountaintops. So you either have to take it or try and figure out once you're in a position to do hiring, that maybe that's where it starts doing the good is that you start understanding we can't be like this as a hiring, you know, as a hiring organization. Right. And, and I've used that uh, not, not to dig into my, my own situation. That's not what this episode is about, but hmm. I, I've used that to go and find, you know, through LinkedIn, who got that position and yep. kind of looked through their profile to see, you know, kind of as an apples to apples comparison, like, okay, what, what made them better and, you know, finding out, okay, well, he's done X, Y, and Z, or she's done this, this, and this, those are areas I'm definitely weak on. So I, I find it on top of, you know, one telling you what you need to know about the company, but also doing research to see who they did go with uh, it's kind of a learning experience, but also maybe a template for things that candidates should be working on. Um, and again, going back to the relevancy and the aspirin, uh, concept, um, ideas that we can take away and how we can improve our profile. Yep, absolutely. I, I, I love your point. I love your follow-up. So we'll, uh, we're going to jump ahead and just quick thoughts. I saw an interesting uh, discussion on LinkedIn yesterday, uh, and this doesn't necessarily apply to more entry level, maybe that second job, but we're probably talking about manager director type positions where you get through the first or second round interview and they ask you to prepare a presentation, give me an outline of how you're going to improve this thing here so you can present it to them at the next interview. Um, the uh, synopsis of the discussion on LinkedIn was when you leave that interview and they ask for the takeaway you shouldn't be afraid to say, no, these were my ideas. These are 
how I bring value to the company. You know, you get them if you bring me in, but these are my concepts. I'm taking them with me to the next meeting I have. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? And how do we uh, just maybe a minute or two on how do you approach that situation? Because obviously you don't want to put a couple hours into a revenue plan for 90 days, uh, give it, it makes a lot of sense. And then you don't get the job, but you realize doing some research that the company, you know, later that year implemented 50% of what you did and they're going, you know, they're doing great business right now. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a, it's a, t- <clears throat> excuse me. It's a tough one um, because I see on both sides. I really do um, because a proof of work or a proof of, you know, just kind of, Hey, what is your game plan? That is important. And it, and it is an opportunity is for you as a candidate to stand out and show what you can bring to that, to that role and to that organization. And that's important. And that might be what gets you the role versus somebody else. Um, I do see, I do see the, the, the conundrum that's placed to where then you don't get it. And then you hear the stories of them using some of your techniques. I think, you know, I think the best way is to try and figure out if there's opportunity to kind of either talk through, you know, maybe it's through a conversation, maybe it's through some other means of during your interview to be able to, to, to set them at ease maybe a different way. Maybe you bring up an example of a, you know, and I always, I tell candidates, make sure that you have a couple success stories, brag stories, but as they relate to something that's very similar in the job that you're interviewing for, so that maybe you're not giving them, what would you do in your first 90 days? Hey, here's a similar instance that I've been in and let me walk you through what I did. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and this is the success that I saw from it. So while you are necessary, you know, while there are some similarities and you could say, oh, well, you know, you're still giving them the techniques. Well, you're you're telling them what you did in your previous role. You know what I mean? Like or your current role. So, I mean, like it's an interview. You're going to have to talk about this, especially if you want to stand out. So maybe you you, there's a way to spin it to where you can then say, oh, well, you know, instead of writing out a, a 90 day plan, let me show you what I did here when I came on board. You know, let me talk through what we did here and what I, you know, what I implemented and how I went about it. Because those are always, I mean, it is always tough because when they do ask you for a marketing plan or, a, you know, a, like I said, a, a 30, 60, 90 day plan, it's really hard because you don't know all the parameters. You know, you're going into it assuming a lot of parameters unless they give you, um, you know, uh, specific, you know, all the specificities that you need for the role. That's why sometimes I do like, more of, um, you know, I, I, I dealt with a client that had a, a test case study. Like, so essentially they came up with a mock, you know, kind of a mock scenario and then wanted to see your process through it. Okay. So that way, that was a way for a company to get what your thought profit process is without you having to, you know, kind of, you know, bear everything in the kitchen cabinet for them. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it's a, it's a fine line and it, it's definitely tough. I mean, I think it does always ultimately come down to what you're comfortable with. And, and if you say no to sharing that with them, just realize they may go, okay, and then, you know, we're going to move on with another candidate. You know what I mean? Like you just have to be comfortable with that. So. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it just comes down to valuing the worth of your work, uh, but also having uh, you know a, a realistic understanding of your performance in the interview process and, um, you know, knowing what the odds are that you you get that, and it's just not uh, because sometimes it is. Uh, I think 
you know, it, it can seem like a very clear data grab versus, um, you know, legitimate, you know, they're, they're trying to find something. Um, so it, an interesting discussion that I thought was uh, particularly relevant now. Yeah. Um, well, th this has been great. I think there's a lot of good information here for people. Um, so I want to jump just a, a couple of questions so we can get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so first question, Dan, what are you reading right now? So there's a couple books. I'm a, I tend to be a person, Bill, that picks up a book, reads it for a little bit, picks up a different book because, you know, I'm kind of like that squirrel looking outside or that, you know what I mean? Kind of looking at everything around. So I, uh, I recently finished a book called Range by David Epstein. Um, and it's why generalists triumph in a specialized world. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a fascinating read about just the, the, you know, kind of the, the comeback of the generalist. I think, especially in our industry, we went a path where the, you know, kind of the specialized person was seen as the best candidate for roles sometimes, as opposed to a generalist. And I think now coming back from the pandemic, I think we've we're going to lean on generalists a little more. And it kind of goes back to the point we talked about earlier of being able to wear a lot of hats and being able to kind of go on the, you know, fly by the seat of your pants and be able to adjust and adapt when and be nimble when you need to. Um, they started off, you know, the, it, it had me, it had me hooked by, um, you know, they start off by discussing Tiger Woods and Roger Federer, you know, and Tiger Woods was somebody who had a golf club in their, in their hands, you know, basically when they were two and three years old and, you know, didn't do anything other than play golf, eat, eat sleep, breathe golf, uh, and arguably is one of the greatest of all time. Roger Federer, you know, played a lot of sports and he was involved in a lot of different things and really didn't specialize until he was in his teens into tennis. And he's arguably one of the greatest of all time. You know I mean? So it just, it goes back and forth. And if you like research and you like data and, you know, there's definitely a lot of that in, in the book as well, but I found that fascinating. Um, and then culturally, I'm, I'm reading a book uh, called the best movie year ever by Brian Raftery. Mm -hmm. Um, it's about it's about the year 1999, and it's uh, it talks about the cultural implication implications of the movies, which were made during that year and that have had an impact on us moving forward. And I mean, and li the list of them are it's ridiculous. I mean, and I'm just to name a few. It was like Fight Club, Matrix, The Sixth Sense, American Beauty, The Blair Witch Project, and you know what I mean. Like you go through, and there's stories on each of them. And I'm kind of a movie nerd, so I I I, I really. Uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying this book and I'm, I'm trying to find if there's one on the year 1985, just because I feel like there's a lot of movies from, from that year as well that we could get into and, and have done, uh, you know, had kind of had long lasting, uh, you know, implications on pop culture for us. Um, and then the other one that I'm reading is, uh, Never Settle by Marty Smith. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm a huge Marty Smith fan, um, you know, I, I can't get enough of him and Ryan McGee. Maybe it's my Southern roots. Maybe it's my Southern upbringing, but you know, they just kind of, they nail a lot of stories about, uh, you know, just growing up down South and just kind of the implications of, of how sports were kind of tied around everything. So. Interesting. Well, my Amazon cart just got a couple of books, a uh, couple of books. <laughs> Who, who are you following right now? And that can be an influencer, a thought leader, an athlete, just, Anybody that they post something, they talk about something, you you're locked in and you're following along in the conversation. Yeah, you know, um, I do follow Mark Cuban. I do like to see what he has to say. I mean, sometimes I don't understand what he's saying. I have to kind of do some homework afterwards. Uh, kind of goes back to the tech, techn technical knowledge that I have. Um, but I do, you know, I, I do like Mark Cuban. 
Um, from a sports perspective, uh, I do, I, I follow Mark Burns, who's a writer for SBJ. I just, I've always liked Mark's content. Um, Darren Heitner, you know, Darren Ravel, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I follow those guys from a business perspective. Um, HBR, you know, I, I, I try and read a lot of things outside of sports and entertainment because I think it's so easy to become so get caught up in the bubble of our industry, which is great because you need to learn that knowledge. But sometimes reading an article or reading some some thoughts from Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Inc., you know, I mean, like those are, are, are tremendous uh, resources to just kind of get a perspective from outside our industry that maybe you can leverage and utilize uh, in your day to day. Um, and then the, the last one is just, it's more of a, a, more of a fun one that I follow, which is uh, SEC shorts, um, which is, there's a, there's a group out of down South that just has summed up the wonderful world of, you know, the Southeastern conference and football and, and everything and being again, growing up in Atlanta and, and, and being kind of a college football junkie day in day out I just they put out the funniest videos and it just makes you nod your head every time saying yep that's how those fans are yep that's that's how that group of fans are that's how the Georgia fans are that's how the Alabama fans are that's how you know I mean it's just it's very it's very funny so I I I use that for a little levity sometimes during my day okay interesting and then last question and we'll get you on your way Uh, what what do you have your mind or uh, eye on over the next three months um we talked, we talked about one, you know, obviously the, you know, the gambling space is just, is fascinating to me and just where it's going to ultimately go. Um, you know, here in Ohio, I mean, they're getting closer and closer to, I think, getting it passed, uh, to allow sports betting here. Um, you can go over to Indiana and they've got it squared away and you know what I mean? Like, so I think Ohio is going to come here soon. Um, but it just, I love to see how they're getting involved in the sponsor space. I love to see how they're getting involved in the digital space. So I'm just, I am fascinated by that piece. And then obviously the name image and likeness is, is, is really where, you know, we're all kind of sitting on, you know, on the edge of our seats for when that green light goes off because, you know, there's a lot that that's going to implicate, you know, kind of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, implications moving forward of how that's going to affect just, sponsorship and just you know college athletes and where money is going to be going and I'm, I'm I love seeing and I already see some of it like companies that are getting involved they're kind of prepping and are ready for that space um, and seeing the creative and outside the box things that they're doing to get ready for when that when that that light turns on um, I think it's going to be it's going to you know, kind of shake up the industry, uh, from that regard quite a bit. So I'm really, I'm really kind of watching those two stories right now. Yeah. That, and I, you know, it's timely that you brought that up, especially with the announcement about uh, the university of North Carolina launching a, um, a division of the athletic department focused on doing group licensing deals for alumni athletes, uh, very, very much seems one, a great benefit for alumni of, uh, their athletics programs, but also, um, potentially an interesting way for them to explore how they might model something for athletes, uh, or student athletes on campus. So that, that's one I've been focusing a lot on because of the implications are massive and, you know, potentially, um, opens up a lot of new avenues for, professionals to explore but i mean for the ncaa the clocks the clock's ticking because some of those state rules go into effect here within two to three months and i don't know if we actually see a supreme court ruling on 
the All-Star yeah. case before then. So uh, one way or another, it's coming and it's going to be a fascinating summer. Uh, Absolutely. Not, not restricted to college, uh, college professionals. It's, it's going to be an interesting summer for everybody. Nope. I, uh, I agree. I agree. So, well, Dan, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking time to come on and share some thoughts about the, the landscape and some things that uh, job seekers in the sports industry should be doing. Uh, so thank you again, and I hope everyone enjoys, and we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Bill.